Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I'm here, as always, with another guest. And this is a fun one. Um, this is one that probably for a lot of you listening in, um, probably not a name that you necessarily heard. And I don't mean that in a a, a, a bad way or, or negative way, but I'm really excited uh, to have this conversation. This is uh, someone I've known for, for quite some time and our past crossed, geez, many moons ago when we used to uh, all hang out in a similar school district. Um, gosh, good thing we're, we're still young. Uh, a long time ago. Um, it, Past cross and things change and we're moving and grooving, but this is a, a guest that I'm really excited to bring into the show. I think for a lot of us, as we think about not just education, um, but learning and life. And as we were talking a little bit before uh, we hit record uh, with this guest here, the word that comes to mind is perspective, which I think will make a lot more sense once we, we get into the dialogue. But uh, the guest today is uh, a longtime friend Stephanie Carloni, so welcome to the show. And for those that don't know who you are, who are you? What do you do? And uh, what in the world do you got going on? Well, thank you very much. I am uh, in my 23rd year of education. I have worked in North Carolina, Texas, Iowa, now and currently Maryland. I am currently a seventh grade science teacher and design thinking teacher, but I have worn lots of different hats in the education field. I love it. And so you, a lot of us can uh, attest to wearing many hats if we're in the education career, whether that's in, in one district or one area um, or across many areas in, in your case. And so before we dive into some of that, you know, I've, I've been enjoying asking guests this, this question lately. Um, it always fascinates me and I always learn so much. I think about where their answers and per perspectives come from, but, you know, just being a, a nerdy comic book superhero type guy, you know, what's your origin story? So here you are in your, I would say probably you don't sit still too long, uh, but your current location doing <laughs> design thinking and, and teaching science. Um, what, what's your journey been to get there? Because you have you have bounced around. And uh, so so how did you get to this point where you're still thriving and surviving in education, even though you have bounced around the landscape of America? <laughs> I, it all started when I graduated in Iowa from high school. And I remember telling my parents, Iowa's boring. There's not much here. And as soon as I graduate, bye-bye. I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out. And I did. I moved to California and I worked at a science center. And I had a degree in wildlife biology. And I wanted to be truly true story. When I was a kid, I read a book called um, oh, let me think of what its name is. I can't think of the name. It was nonfiction. It was about a man and a woman, a wife, husband and wife, and they studied lions and elephants in Africa. 
that's what I wanted to do. And funny enough, they grew up, got divorced. She just wrote a book called, um, oh, my mind is failing me because I'm nervous. Um, <laughs> the the recent one, the Crawdads one that Taylor Swift sang, it was a huge book. Oh, huge. Yes, anyway, yes. Delia Owens is the author. That's her name. So before she was that fiction writer, she was a biologist. And I read her book and I thought that's what I want to do when I was 11. Mm. Um Anyway, moved to so I moved to education was not in my realm is what I'm getting at. And I moved to California and I worked at a science center because I could not find a job in wildlife biology. And I started teaching and I found out I loved it. I was like, this is kind of amazing. So I went back to Iowa State, got my teaching certificate. For those of you listening, if you are a a up and coming teacher, get your master's at the same time if you can. <laughs> it will pay off in the long run. I did not do that, so lesson learned. But that's what got me started in education. That was that's my origin story. So I had no intentions. Had education was not in my wheelhouse, not in my realm. Nobody in my family are teachers. Yet here I am. Yeah. So, um, you know the. Well, first, I, the book that you were talking about, I, I just I had to look it up because I remember the title. It's where the crawdads sing. That's, yes. Uh, yes. There yes. you go. So many people will 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 recognize that title because I'm not sure yes. there's too many people left who haven't uh, read that book on the planet. But if you haven't, good lord, go read it um, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, so yeah. So you know, as, as as you're sharing that, what was that trigger that you're like, man, I really like this 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 teaching, this learning, that this education because it wasn't necessarily in your line of sight with what you thought you would be doing. And then you got a taste of it and you fell in love with it. So what, what about that? Was it, you're like, this is what I want to do. It was in California. I worked a high ropes course. So I taught science classes, but we were at a, a science camp and I was sorry, I was 12,000. Yeah. About 12,000 feet up in the mountain. No, it was more like 7,000 feet up in the mountains ate outside every day, took my students hiking, taught them science classes. But in between, we had a high ropes course up in the trees. And I remember one day taking my group of kids. They were probably 10, 8, 9, 10-year-olds. And they came there for the summer, stayed for a week. So they had counselors. They spent the night. I was just their instructor. So we were at the high ropes course. I was asking kids to climb up this telephone pole. The top of the telephone pole was a round disc, you know, a foot wide that not only wobbled back and forth, but that circled. So they were tied, you know, had all their climbing gear on. I was asking them to climb to the top. Once they got to the top to stand up and jump off and try and grab a trapeze bar. And so what I would do with them is I would have them set a goal. I said, I recognize that all of you are not going to do the same thing. You're all in a different place. Some of you climbing halfway up, that will be amazing. Some of you taking a step off the ground, that will be amazing. And some of you will get to the top and jump for that trapeze bar, and that will be amazing. So I had them set a goal. And then as a team, we would cheer each other on. And I almost had that out-of-body experience I think every teacher has had where you just kind of step back and you watch it all unfold and you think, wow, not that I have this great power, but what I'm watching is powerful. Mm -hmm. And 
change making. And that's what it was for me. I thought, wow, people who are in this position are change makers. They're making a difference in the world. And I like this. I want to feel this every day at my job. That's awesome. And as you're talking about that, it, is, it, it resonates so much with, I think, so much work that educators I'm working with are trying to do. And I know educators everywhere are trying to do of how do we create these learning experience and opportunities for people to kids, but I think not just kids, it's adults and everyone else, depending on what your learning space might be like to look inward at yourself, to, to figure out what's your point A and what's, what's your point B that you want to get to. Um, and that's obviously different for everybody, but to be okay with that. And then at the same time to have a, a safety safe community around you that's rooting for you uh, versus like this sometimes the American spirit of competing of, oh, I'm better than you. Look, at I I climbed higher, I jumped farther versus like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, how awesome. And I think that's, it's easy to talk about the stuff that people want. Um, you know, a high ropes course kind of makes that pretty black and white in terms of where you're going. I, I, I don't know that I would be able to, oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I was trying to think through how far I'd be able to go. I don't know. I would, but uh you know, so that, 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 that's fascinating because I think that, that's a lot of the conversations we've been having is, you know, so when we are in the classroom, how do we create these these spaces where it's safe to be vulnerable and brave and share a new idea or share a solution that may not work um, and and to know that you're, you're supported and not going to be mocked by your colleagues and peers, I think, is um, something that, that a lot of us are trying to figure out. One thing I realized in that week, because I had done it for about two or three weeks and whoever the powers that be were that scheduled the kids that week, my ropes course always came at the end and I never thought anything about it. And that week, my ropes course happened to come at the beginning. Mm. That made all the difference in the world for that week. And I realized in that moment, too, how important an education intention is. Because I thought if I could start every week the same way, every week potentially could have this good of an outcome. Because that week, those kids shared more, were more vulnerable because it set that tone right at the beginning. And I, it was, it was, it was, it was just, it was amazing. I mean, I, this is what, I'm almost 50. So this was 30 some years ago. And I still right now I'm having that same feeling of just sheer awe yeah of, you know of what people can do it's a shared experience with 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 individual emotional connections tied to it you know and so you yeah. you can't not walk away from that and feel like you have bonded with those around you um because you are collectively part of a journey regardless of where you end up i guess in this case how vertically high up you you get up or yeah, <laughs> yeah. you come you come crashing down Yep. So as yep. you've built off that, because you're not currently still doing that, and you've now moved from state to state and seen lots of different things and lots of different classrooms and probably structures of schools and yes. all dynamics of kids and wherever we go, there are always commonalities, but every every location and city and space has its own unique challenges and um, also opportunities. If you think about that word intention, that intentionality, what have you seen or what have you learned through being able to move through? Because, you know, as you know, you, you grew up in Iowa and Midwest. A lot of us, we don't leave. We kind of get into a space and not that that's a bad thing, 
but not no. everybody has an opportunity to, you know, what does this look like? I know even for me, where the job that I'm at, I taught at a middle school for 14 years and I've taken this job where I support 21 school districts. And even just in a 30 minute drive, I'm like, oh, this will work. And then I walk into a building. I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is nothing like where I taught. And this is great. And it, it, it changes your, your philosophy and it changes some of your approaches. And so what are some other things that you've, you, you've been able to, to, to garner as you've moved around and seen and experienced different things? I think one of the big ones is that <clears throat> how culturally different the United States is. I mean, you hear about those differences, but until I had lived in North Carolina and I, when I moved there, I, would, I was a brand new baby teacher, first job standing in front of high school students. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> no, what I'm doing, you know, but I, I very Southern draws and I did not, um, you know, they joked with me, oh, you're from the North. And we, I, I was just awakened to the different words. A purse is a pocketbook and, you know, all kinds of different things. They have Bojangles and we didn't, I'm like, I don't know what Bojangles is. I've never eaten there before. And I think more than anything, what I've taken with me, and we know this as teachers, you know, you never stop learning. And there's some quote at some point, somebody said, the minute you start learning, you know, you're dead, whatever, whomever that said that. Um, but I think for me, it's always just been sitting back and learning and appreciating part of it, you know, the United States and Texas was very different and Iowa is very different and Maryland is very different. And I've just carried that with me to just give myself a year or two years to just see how things work, how people act, what they respond to. Um, and that could be as simple as, you know, we don't know anybody when I didn't know anybody in these places. And so people would just here, come to our house for Thanksgiving and, you know, come over here and students, oh, you meet me and do this. And, and, you know, what I found is that people are so loving and so open and, um, I've just tried to carry that with me to just meet people where they are and hopefully they'll meet me where I'm at and I will learn a million different things along the way. Not only about that area, but like you said, education is so different and it's not that it's better or worse. It is just different everywhere you go. And, you know, as teachers, we we retreat or we don't retreat, but we turn quickly you walked into the building and you're like, this is not going to work. And we can't <laughs> stop in the moment. Right, you're like, right. okay, I got to figure it out. And I've got about five minutes to do so. But I think that's part of the amazingness of, of teaching is that we learn very quickly how to change and move and direct and, and then sit back and just watch and learn ourselves. Cause, and it's not always perfect. It's never, ever perfect. Right. Um, but I would say that's a big thing is just cultural differences, people, different people, but at the same time, that commonality of, of just love and, you know, openness and kindness and graciousness and, um, and kids are kids, you know, kid, I, I've learned that middle school kids are, that's where I spent most of my time, but middle school kids across the nation 
you know, their brains are not fully developed yet. They're figuring out who they are. They're testing. Some are ahead of others. Some are behind others. Some look like full-grown adults and some look like they're <laughs> not full-grown adults. And I don't care where you go. That's just true everywhere. And I've learned that if I can, my goal over time, over 23 years of education, I think you, know, you get asked in jobs, what's your philosophy of education? And I think there's, Keywords that they listen for or look for, but my goal, ultimately, I landed on this a couple years ago, is that if I can bring science to the dinner table, mm. if it can become dinner table conversation without a prompt from the parent, I feel like my job is not done, but I've reached that, okay, and now we can go even further, that pinnacle, that whatever that is, that is because I feel like if I, I can engage that brain and I feel like that's what I've picked up from moving to different places is that that's my goal. I love that's, that. I mean, that is, I'm sitting there inside going, yes, that is the best way to explain it. And I know in some of the work that we've been, I've been working with some teachers with, it's that same thing. We had a, a project and one of the parents came up and Afterwards, I think it's like the one that resonated the most with with the educators and myself too. Uh, quite frankly, it was like, you know, every day we'd ask our kids like, "How was school? What'd you learn?" And you know, the typical, typical kid response: "Nothing. Uh, school's boring. Whatever." And we had a, a pretty awesome opportunity for for a learning up for a learning project, and they were like, every day our kid came home and couldn't wait to talk about it, and you know that just that. Like you said, I like that framing of bringing it to the dinner table because you know that something's resonating. Uh, it doesn't mean that I have to have a, I know there's a pressure of proficiency and spreadsheets of data and all that stuff. And not that we like neglect all that, but to me, that's more important. I'm in the same boat as you than seeing a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet. And yes, we want them to grow and thrive and all that. But if they can start to figure out who they are and what some of their learning interests are along the way in the in the the long K-12 learning experience, they're gonna be that much better off when they go to navigate life on their own to kind of figure out, I think I kind of like this versus I graduate, now I gotta go figure out what I like. And I think there's a huge difference there um, in terms of how we're setting our kids up for success. Success can mean a lot of different things. And not that they have to know exactly what they're gonna do when they're 18, because I feel like here I am and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with myself, but at least you've got a pathway to start versus going, Oh, I guess I better get to the start line and kind of figure this out. And I think there's an opportunity there when we bring in that inquiry and that wonder and that excitement and the stuff that you're talking about with science is, is, is so spot on. I love the way you, you uh, phrase that, um, bring his science to the dinner table. I might have to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I agree with you hundred percent with everything that you said, you know, we measure and growth and, and that is important. I do think too, and not every kid's going to bring it to the dinner table. Right. I, right. I have to fully acknowledge that I brought science to the dinner table at my house. I did not bring history to the dinner table, nothing against history or history teachers. It just wasn't my jam. Yeah. I also think if I can get kids to bring it to the dinner table, there's a greater chance it's going to go in their long-term memory mm. and, and, and they'll file that away. And for me, that's, 
I would much rather a kid file something away in their long-term memory than every teacher than regurgitate it for a test. You know, we just hate that regurgitation and that short term. And of course that's going to happen for sure. But I love, I love it. Like you said, those parents came to you and, Oh, we talked about this. I mean, that's just, I had a parent conference and I had a parent come to me and it was one of my quiet students Mm. that rarely says anything. And the mom said, I have to tell you, she's asking about the, you know, Venus and Jupiter and why are they so close in the night sky and blah, 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 blah. And at tears, I had tears because I said, that's it. That's that. I said, I don't, I, I just was speechless. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's the ultimate goal. It's my ultimate goal and, and testing. Yes. And growth. Yes. And not going to reach every kid. Of course not. But if I know I can do that, if teachers, I think if we know we can do that, that that's just, again, it's that awe. It goes back to 30 years ago, standing there in the forest, watching the kids see <laughs> the goal and accomplishing it. And knowing that, like you said, that you were a part of that. Yeah. It, as you were saying that, it reminded me of something I used to say a long time ago. Uh, I used to work with talking with teachers, like, what's your wow? And like, uh, I had a, we had a student voice group and the, I've, this girl now is out of college and an adult and she's grown up and I've stayed the same age. So that's awesome how science works that way. <laughs> but she's, she had this phrase that we were talking through student voice and choice and education that um, school, every classroom felt like pastel prisons because they all looked the same. And so we started mm-hmm. to be like, what's your wow? And I think what you're saying is that, you know, not every kid's going to bring science home, but if we provided an opportunity in a school day for eight hours, you know, on average that kids are in school where there's an opportunity in science and in their social studies and in their arts and their music, and that every time they stepped into a new learning space, here's a new opportunity. It doesn't matter what they're bringing back to their quote unquote dinner table they should be bringing something back. And if it's not science and hopefully they're talking math and if it's not math, it's art. Like there, we have an opportunity as a community of a school of professionals. There's enough of us that hopefully we can kindle a spark of curiosity or inquiry or passion or interest or whatever word we want to use for kids that want to come home and share something. Um, You know, and we collectively put our energies into that not only do we do we strengthen kids, but man, we strengthen ourselves. And sometimes we can be our own worst enemies in the in the education field. But man, we all work collectively together to say, this is our goal. Yeah. Who's who's gonna have the <laughs> the topic of conversation at the dinner table today? And if that happens, it almost kind of reminds me of your ropes course, right? Like it doesn't matter whose topic of the day is on the dinner oh. table, we're gonna celebrate that versus like, oh, so and so. You know, I think there's I don't know, I, I keep keep coming back to that visual um, and um, <laughs> there's, there's something there, you know, I want to segue a little bit, but I want to come back to this idea of, of, of education and intention and perspective, because there's another side of you too, where you are obviously outdoors in nature. You've talked about that being an interest of yours and you do have an incredible blog and another side of you is your, your writing, your, your reflection. I know uh, when I get to read your blog post, I always find a, a serenity or calm that overcomes my brain. And you take lots of phenomenal pictures of nature and animals and different types of things. Um, And so as I think about that, 
this idea of perspective too, you know, I, I want to get into that realm because I know, I don't know what the parallels are. There's parallels with that passion interest, the way you see the world through your camera and exploring nature that connects to education there as well. And so um, I'd like to put you on the spot there a little bit and talk a little bit, a little bit about that hobby interest passion. I know it's just, I know it's part of your DNA following your blog for many years, but could you talk a little bit about that? Cause I find that to be such a, uh, an incredibly insightful perspective, even if I don't know the names of all the trees and plants and things that you're taking pictures of. Thank you. That, that <laughs> tr truly means the world to me that, you know, I first started that and I had a goal. My goal was really for myself. It was just because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer and I, that was never discouraged, but I didn't know any writers and I didn't know how to do that. And I took writing classes in college and my writing professors were very encouraging and positive, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't. And I was like, well, I know I love science. And so I'm going to go down this route. And so I did. But that, like you said, it's a great way to put it. It's in my DNA to, to do that. And I think I married that a long time ago at some point. I don't know exactly when, but I married it to science. And, you know, I think as scientists, not only us, but a lot of people, we look at the world and ask a ton of questions. And I have been told <laughs> by many people that I ask a lot of questions and I don't apologize for that. That's in my DNA. That's who I am. And that's how I learn and grow. And then, but then I spend a lot of time processing. I think about things a lot. I'm constantly writing in my head in the shower. You know, we all do that to a certain extent. You're going to have a tough conversation. We practice it in the shower. And for me, that's, I see something and then I think about it in the shower while I'm washing dishes or while I'm cooking. And I, that was an outlet for me to write on a regular basis, hold myself accountable if I can't do it as a job, because I don't know how, I'm going to at least do it this way. And it evolved. And I've always loved photography. And the more I thought, you know, the more you do a hobby, the better you get at it, or the more you try to grow and 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 do better. Um, so that's where that came from. Uh, is And I have a couple writers that I follow. And I think that for me, I look up nature blogs and all I can find are ones that I don't engage with. Right. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're educational, which is lovely, but that's not what I need. I I said it once I said one time to a friend that, you know, nature or the outdoors is is kind of my church. And ooh, that set off a whole conversation. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> yeah. But I, I said, but that's that's where I go to find myself, to calm myself, to figure out life. Um, and so that's what I do when I write. I'm figuring out, what do I think about this? How do I feel? Why am I angry? Why am I upset? Why am I happy? Why do I feel joy in this moment? And um, so that's where that came from. That's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah. It, well, it's, uh, and the reason I ask is because like, I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things, but I, I think Anybody who's a lifelong learner um, is always asking questions. And I think anybody in edu anybody, period, I don't, it does not just education, but I mean, that's the world where I know most people, our brains are always going. 
Uh, we're always thinking, like you said, in the shower, while we're driving, whether we're trying to process and look back on what we did or thinking about the next thing or whatever. Our brains are always, it's just, that's just human nature. Um, but you've found a way to, I mean, outside of like just the human elements of all the things of being a professional and trying to be, uh, you know, a good parent and handle all that. I mean, there's all the <laughs> things that come with life and all the variables we all have. Um, you've, you've been able to, to, to carve out this space where, um, you do write and you do take some incredible pictures. And the thing that when I look through it, I'm just looking through some of your recent ones here again, the, the thing that, that sparks me is for people to think about how do you go about capturing the ideas? Um, because so many times we have so many thoughts and we lose them we don't think they're they're meaningful and then they kind of get lost and sometimes that's where the ahas are and we don't even realize we had them in the moment so my question to you is i know not everything makes the page so to speak of your blog um you know but i always look at all your nature pictures and i always feel a human element even before i get to the words which usually has some sort of connection to the image and that so I, I'm just curious with, with, with your writing process. This is just me nerding out here a little bit. Uh, but do you take the picture and then the words come from that? Do you have the ideas? And then as you're out in your your nature church, um, <laughs> that helps you like find the right frame to go with the thoughts? Does it, is it a back and forth? I'm always curious on when we talk about perceptions and perspectives and seeing the world, whether we're trying to teach that in a classroom to understand culture, whether we're trying to get that to see each other, whether that's just friend dynamics, uh, whatever it might be, what what's your process through that? Because every time I see that there's a new post, I, I get really excited. <laughs> Thank you. I, I remember early on in one of my writing classes, a professor talked to me and said, you know, you should outline and do this. And, and I did that. And it was a colossal failure. And I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to be a writer because I can't follow this process. And then I heard somebody speak probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, and they were a writer. I don't remember who it was, but I don't, I don't follow, I don't have an outline. And I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? And that just freed me to do whatever I wanted. So I don't go out in nature with an intention of any sort. Mm. I take pictures of what I think are beautiful things, beautiful subjects. And I, I, I it never occurred to me till just this moment. But when I'm behind the camera and I'm taking that picture, for me, it answers that I want to come back to this moment again. I like what I feel in this moment, which goes back to California and being in the trees with the kids. I want this moment. And so that's what I'm going for. I'm going for that moment. For me, it's very selfish. Because then I think if I blew this up, would I hang it on my wall? Yes. Mm. Because I want that. I want that feeling. I want that moment. Then the words often come in my head when I'm thinking about something that happened. I think my latest blog post, it was a, a technology. I had been fighting that stupid blog for months, <laughs> the technology, and I was so frustrated. And all I kept repeating in my head was technology is supposed to make my life better and easier. 
and that's, I just kept going over and over in my head. And my husband and I had conversations about, remember we were kids and a phone was $30 and, <laughs> you know, and it, all of those conversations started meshing and I had an idea and this is the way it usually progresses. I have one idea and I sit down and I start typing and it veers down another path. Sometimes it's the path I intended, but not always. And that one the night before I had been outside with my dog and I thought, I'm just going to let this go. And I just stood there and I laughed and I thought this math, this goes with, it just goes, <laughs> you know, and I just started writing and it, I delete, I edit constantly. I let go of things when I write, I, I'm editing in the moment and I edit myself fiercely in the sense that I have no problem writing five paragraphs and highlighting and deleting them and letting that go. I have to listen to my gut and there's a feeling you've written. I, you know, you've got books that there's a feeling that comes with it, that you just know you're on the right path. Yeah. And whether it's the right path for you or whether it's the right path for somebody else reading it. I don't question it. I don't know in the moment, but I just know. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, this, I like this. And then sometimes I'm like, me, <laughs> it's okay today. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? And then I just push publish, let it go out to the world, see what kind of response I get, get no response. And that's okay too. Because ultimately it's to flex those writing muscles, that creativity. But I also want to put out into the world what I'm looking for, but I'm not finding. Yeah. I think Mary Oliver, I think is, and I'm not comparing myself to Mary Oliver. Good gracious. <laughs> she's that poet. She's up here. Right. But I feel like she captured it. If she had written a blog, I would have read it. Yeah. She would go out there and make those connections. That that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I want to put out there because I'm not finding it. It might be out there. And right. I've looked, you know, so I, I, I guess I'm putting out there what I want to. <laughs> right. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, in the end, you got to do the stuff for you first. You got to take care of yeah. yourself. And, you know, that's kind of like a follow up question as you were you were talking about that, whether, you know, I think so much in education, too, for the educators I work with. There's this. Uh, I don't know if it's fear, uh, trepidation maybe a lack of confidence and i don't mean that as like finger pointing to the individuals i think the the system hmm. as a as a whole does a pretty good job of uh just grinding down professionals who are amazing people that have incredible ideas and those 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 little prickly points on us that are make us unique and allow us to to push the boundaries sometimes kind of get grinded down to a a point where we've kind of lost who we want to be um, in the system. And so uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, as you started the blog uh, and started sharing this stuff where you're doing it for yourself, you're not doing it for accolades and attention and all that. And when it comes across, it always feels good. And that's something that I know, even in my own blog and stuff, I've, you, you get used to it after a while. It's like, this is, this is for me. And I, could care less what comes of it. Um, but yeah, I know I've had those moments too. It's like, why do I keep doing this if 
nobody's reading it. And I got to remember, like, this is my outlet. This is my release that keeps me going. And it's my journey that I do love to go back on. So sometimes I get upset when I don't publish enough. But question I have, I'm getting long-winded here, um, is like, how did you overcome that, that vulnerability thing where you're able to hit the publish button? And the reason I'm asking is so many of us have phenomenal ideas. We're good in our craft, whatever we do, or we have a great hobby or interest. And not that like we do it because we want everybody to see it, but in, sometimes I do believe in order to make the world better, like we need to get more of this positive energy and beautiful art and work and art can mean whatever it is to you out into the world because other people are narrating a story that isn't always the most positive, <laughs> you know, as, as you think about technology and I think about social media and I think about the stuff that's in the paper about schools, I think about all the things and it's like, man, if, if, if we were to tell our story, man, people would be blown away by actually like all the things we do, whether that's in the classroom or outside. How did you overcome that to be able to go, you know what? I'm hitting publish. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. I just had an interesting conversation with my daughter last night. She plays a sport. She's feeling a little frustrated. She's 14. <clears throat> and I said, one of two things can happen. I can go to the coach and I can explain it. Or I said, or you can. You're 14, you can have that adult conversation. I'm going to help you and we can practice and it's going to be hard. But you self-advocacy, you know, being true to yourself and who you are. I said, I think I just learned to do that in the last 15 years. Mm. That's my point. I think up until about 15 years ago, and I can't pinpoint a time, I can't pinpoint an event, but I wouldn't have published. I would not have. And I've read and I've read a lot of not self-help books, but um, just books along the way about being yourself and who you truly are and happiness and, and things like that. And at some point, I just got to the point where I thought, I have to be me. I, you know, I have to be myself. I can't, if I pretend to be Mary Oliver and I strive to be Mary Oliver, the world already has Mary Oliver. They, right. they don't need or want another one. <laughs> as lovely and I and I'm not going to reach that point um and I just had to sit down and be honest with myself and know that it may not whatever I put out there whether that's in teaching and writing uh conversations friends it may not be well received by everybody my mom used to tell me all the time when I was a kid you're never going to be the best. There's always going to be people better than you and worse than you. You're never going to be the prettiest. There's always going to be people more beautiful and not as beautiful. And I took that to heart. I, I'm never going to be. I can only be me. Right. That's it. I can only be me. And I have to as soon as I embraced that, as soon as I crossed over from being fearful and scared to. I'm going to be me and embrace me. It became so easy to just hit publish. Yeah. Because I thought if somebody doesn't like it, if they get upset by it and I try not, I don't, I intentionally don't do stuff that's super controversial. 
I try because that's not me. I don't like confrontations. So that's not being authentic to myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I want to because that's what I'm processing <laughs> in the moment. Right. Right. But I'm not ready to have that public conversation. Maybe someday, you know, so I keep it to what I feel most comfortable sharing, but I keep it true to myself and it, hard step for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. But boy, once you do, and I don't have it perfect. Oh, good gracious. No. But I think that, you know, once people do that, you're like, oh, it becomes better. The writing becomes better. The photographs become better. The teaching becomes better. And and you have more of those moments in the trees. You get that more frequently. And I guess maybe that's I, I still seeking that out. And whether I'm in teaching or writing or whatever, is that, you know, we're here such a short time. I mean, it's so cliche. It's so cliche, but it's so true. It it's is. so true. And if I don't take advantage and you, and it's, you know, we're getting older. I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, if I don't take advantage, if I don't do me, if I don't stay true to myself, if I don't do the things I want to do, that's what I told my daughter last night. I said, learn this self-advocacy now, figure out who you are now, because that will open opportunities and it will make life better. Yeah. You know, but he had, I said, you have to do it in my, to my daughter. I said, you have to do it in such a way that's true to you and honest and respectful. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, right. Right. But it, it, it carries over. It carries over for sure. Well, so much for me resonates, you know, as we think about going full circle here and, and being respectful of your time on this, you know, I think it's, you were just talking, it, it it reminds me of whether we're talking, learning in the classroom, learning for ourselves, learning outside the classroom walls, so to speak, whether it's your daughter that's 14 or, you know, people like you and I trying to figure out what we still want to do while we're not getting any younger and, you know, every shape and form in between. It's all about the process. And we're, we're there's not necessarily a a destination which sometimes we think we got to reach or this finish line um and so also there's not like a playbook that has all this mapped out but i think that like you said it's that embracing you know like being me like here's who i am here is here is aaron bauer and i think about the classroom how do we help kids be comfortable in their own skin within the realms of what we can do in our classroom with the content that we teach. And if that is getting them excited to go home and talk about planets, or if that's getting them excited to talk about, you know, comics or whatever it might be um, to help them figure out like, Hey, this is, this is a part of, of me and what I want to do. Then I think also, you know, having some of that time to, you know, there's a whole nother kind of conversation education too, but having a little bit of identity that isn't the, the teacher, uh, persona, you know, where That's you've got a space, you've got your, your snail pace blog and you've, you've got a place where you can go have your, your little bit of serenity to take pictures and do some writing. And, you know, you're not doing it to cross it back over into the classroom if it fits great, but there's, you know, a lot of that is for you and your journey. And I think it's important to have that separation as well to get away from that, as, especially as we know, the education world is, is it's, it's not easy. And we're, we're seeing the, the ramifications of, of, of the, the occupation uh, with shortages and burnout and all the things that are, are happening, you know, what do we do in the carve that, that space out 
whether that's in nature or for me, it's nerding out and building Lego or, you know, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. But I think, you know, being intentional to, to, to have that as well, I think is, is, is really insightful. I think it's important too, that as a teacher that I show my students, my authentic self doesn't mean I share my blog with them. Right, right. But, but, you know, you share your passion, you know, you were, I remember my niece is talking about you and what <laughs> teacher were, he wears the bow ties, yeah. you know, and, but I, that comes across though. I think that authenticity resonates with students and kids and yeah. they're like, Oh, this person really likes blank. Yeah. And I think that gives students a space to say, I really like blank and that we have that ability to help them down that authentic path. I think vulnerability coming back here to that word you said earlier, you know, it's been such a buzzword for Brene. I feel like Brene Brown it all for sure. And wonderfully so. And I think that has resonated into so many things from her first book, which is just lovely and I think more people are becoming more vulnerable. And I think what a wonderful impact that has in society. I was just listening to Dak Shepard's podcast. He was talking to David Letterman this morning. Oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet. I need to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what he says to David, I've had tears in my eyes. I'm like, that's it right there. That's it. That's it. Good for you. But it's that vulnerability. If we could show that authenticity and not be afraid, it, it, it's pa- it's just so powerful for me it's powerful yeah and and, and you have to model that it's not something that you can yes. do a, a cookie cutter lesson in a class and expect it to happen and um i also know i have i i have this conversation all the time that you know we're always saying we want kids to be problem solvers and think critically and be creative and innovative and all these things that <laughs> yes are all good but like if we think about that like in an eight hour day and every experience that's what we want like we're asking them to redline like full throttle all the time and where are we modeling that ourselves for them to see that the space is comfortable to do it and then where do we give space just to back up and give them time i call it purposeful play or tinker just to kind of meddle with the ideas a little bit Versus like, you've got 10 minutes and you must be creative right now. Go like (laughs) none of us work that way. And again, it's not a, it's just the system. It's not, I'm not, this is not a bash on the people. We have these time constraints and we've got all these things and the pressures on what teachers have to turn in and submit and do. Um, You know, I always, always joke that teachers on their prep don't have time to, you know, drink, drink a Pepsi and fart. Like I understand all (laughs) the things, but you know, we've got an opportunity of, you know, how do we work through that? I think is the where the power comes and it's not adding more things on our plate it's just uh embracing who we are and uh what we want to be and allowing kids to uh do do the same yeah for sure for sure so i want to be respectful of your time this has been awesome as always i i feel like i got like a little free uh therapy session here being able to uh (laughs) chit chat with you about nature and writing and education and, and your journey. So I appreciate you uh, jump on the show to uh, talk about that. Uh, for those listening, I will definitely link in uh, your blog so people can see what it, it is that I'm talking about with your work and words. Um, I'll put some references into my top Mary Oliver books. Maybe I could have you share some of yours. I actually gave uh, a Mary Oliver book to, to my daughter um, earlier this year. I'm like, I think you're going to like this writing. So 
um, maybe we can we can uh, talk Mary Oliver and get some links in there for those that haven't read her work as well. But before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share or anything on that nature we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that uh, people get to hear and, and know more about? No, I wish we had about five more hours and we could tackle all the problems <laughs> in education and figure them out and, you know, change the world. There we go. Well, <laughs> we'll start here and uh, maybe we can do a follow up and uh, work towards our our new goals of uh, solving all those major issues. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> well, Stephanie, this has been a, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. And uh, I look forward to people discovering your work and um, applying some of these powerful ideas that, that you shared with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored. It, it's, thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos. <laughs>